Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. I am so excited to tell you that InvestSmart and Intelligent Investor are long-term sponsors of this podcast. And here's something I want to tell you about. The Intelligent Investor Select Value Fund is a unique mix of global leaders and homegrown small caps poised for long-term growth. The portfolio manager is Nathan Bell, a talented investor you may have heard on the Rust Network multiple times. The Select Value Fund is designed for investors seeking international diversification and Aussie companies with superior financial metrics. You can invest today at intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. That's intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Owen. It's great to uh, finally chat, meet in person. I've seen your face around, so mate, this is going to be a bit of fun talking about income. looking forward to it. ETFs. Uh, One of the things that we like to do is maybe to start with a bit of an icebreaker. So my first question is more of a personal one, and you can take this whatever way you like. Some people say family, some people say stocks, some people say ETFs, whatever, businesses. Sure. What have been your two best investments and what did you learn from them? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because it's not always a financial returning investment sometimes. I mean, I've always been a big proponent of investing in your education, mm-hmm. trying to learn from as many people as possible, read as much as possible, going to do formal studies and learn as much because that obviously helps in- increase your human capital levels and those intellectual levels as well, which can obviously breed a whole bunch of mm-hmm. wealth generating ideas as well. So I would say investing in yourself by education is a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, from a financial perspective, I think I'll give... Two examples, one a bit more boring and one a bit more exciting. Yep. Probably the, the boring one to start off um, and something I'm very passionate about is ETFs as a whole. And I think I bought my first ETF would have been about 15 or, yeah, about 15 or 20 years ago. Wow. And I think I just bought a very low cost like Vanguard ETF and the gold ETF. Oh, yeah. And literally all I did was kept dollar cost averaging into both. And, you know, obviously US market's done really well. Gold's also been a great uh, diversifier as well. So between the two of those, Huh. Just dollar cost averaging, earning, you know, anywhere from 8 to 12% a year, just the, the magic effect of compounding has just obviously done fantastically. Oh, and, wow. and that's just been a very boring, passive way about going about it and something that I wish I did more of. Yeah. Um, but then every now and again, um, you know, sometimes, and I feel it, it happens with, with all investing, is if you do have an edge or some sort of informational advantage or somewhere where, you know, the industry quite well, you can take more active stock bets. Obviously, it's quite hard because a lot of stocks can't perform Um, Can't outperform a broader benchmark. Um, But yeah, one one of my better investments was actually in a platform business called NetWealth. Um, I think I invested in it, would have been 2014 or 15 or something like that. Um, And the reason I kind of knew about it is because being in the uh, platform business, uh, some of my previous wealth roles, I just saw a lot of money flowing into um, these independent platforms away from the big banks and going into some of these more technology technological savvy businesses um, that are getting a lot of flows, a lot of like great feedback from advisors. um, And I think it's now trading at an all-time high, which I'm still holding today. So yeah, those are a couple of examples about best investments. Do you still hold the ETF? Yeah, definitely. Still dollar cost averaging into there, reinvesting any distributions that come in, although gold doesn't pay a a distribution. But yeah, still holding today. Um, Luckily, haven't had to sell anything. And yeah, I'm definitely a buy and hold investor. To yeah, be great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Not many people can come on the show or have come on the show and said that they ha- they own the investment that they might have started 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah. But it speaks to like the, I guess, the anti-fragility yeah. of what you're doing in yeah. terms of using ETFs. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of um, ETFs are those core building blocks that you almost just don't want to touch 
for until you actually need it, whether it comes to a big purchase or achieving a goal, even when it comes to retirement. Yeah. Um, luckily, I haven't had to touch it just yet, um, but I eventually imagine that there will be a reason to, to trigger it, but there's also be, also be a lot of capital gains that yeah. I have to uh, incur because of that. Um, That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it is a, it's a good good tax to pay, I guess. Yeah. Um, but for me, um, these are the core staples, you know, just yep. very much automating your investing process because over the long term, I'm going to lock that up and not touch it for 20, 30, 40 years. And in the end, like, you know, the, the magic itself will will deliver some of the results that I'm looking to to get out of. So, yeah, cool. yeah still holding today. Well, my <laughs> second question then, which was a bit of a uh, icebreaker, was I think it's kind of self-explanatory then. So, do you think ETFs are a good way to invest for children? For children, yes. Uh, I mean, I think ETFs are applicable to all investor ages and all investor types. Um, for children, I think it's great because children have long-term time horizons, you know, mm. and the fact that if you want to invest in individual businesses, there is a, you know, a high risk chance that some of them go out of business, some don't outperform the, the actual broader market, um, but also you don't want to take that single stock risk on any one of them. Um, so for children, I think it's great because there's a lot of, you know, platforms available that invest in low cost diversified ETFs. Um, and that's the benefit of it. It's yeah. transparent, it's liquid, it's low cost. And another reason um, as well, I think it's great for kids is, um, you know, I, I don't know about your cell phone, but whenever I want to talk to kids about investing, and I don't have kids of my own just yet, mm. but they want to know what they're investing in. And the great thing about an ETF wrapper is you can see every single holding that's in there. Mm. Um, and it's a great way to engage conversations with your kids and to learn about investing, um, whether it's investing in, you know, companies like Disney and you're watching Disney Plus and yep. your kid's like, oh, cool, I own uh, shares in that business. Uh, whether it's an Australian business like Bigger Cheese. So when they, you know, putting Vegemite on your toast, you can just say, look, you're actually an investor through this, through an index. Yep. Um, and I just think having a very uh, systematic rules-based approach for uh, kids investing is great. And a lot of the technological businesses out there trying to democratize investing have embraced both this easy access to ETFs, but also making it like relatively simple for parents, grandparents to invest in a simple way. Yeah. Because obviously there's the penalty of owning in, if it's in a child's name, but whether it's through uh, an informal trust, whether it's in the adult's name that you can transfer it over, um, I think ETFs are the perfect vehicle for a long-term time horizon investor, like a kid or a grandkid. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people um, like who, who uh, in the process of having kids, like mm -hmm. uh, maybe pregnant or just giving birth and whether this is grandparents looking at it as well, they think, well, what's something that I can do now and give to them on their 18th birthday? And when you think about that, that's like two or three market cycles. You're going to have a few crashes in there. Chances are Apple's not going to be the biggest company in the yeah. world by the time we get there. Maybe it still is, who knows, but maybe it's not. Yeah. And so people are like, as much conviction as I have, maybe there's another way to do it, which I don't have to think about it. Uh, and I can still manage my portfolio however I want to do it. But for the grandkid or my child, I'll just put money away like you did with the gold. A hundred percent. And before. I think it's great because like you don't have to, you know, you've only got so many points in the day that you can use your your brain for. And the mm. fact that you outsource that, not to a, necessarily an active manager who's picking stocks, but just to an index provider, which has a very, you know, systematized rule about owning the stocks, you don't have to worry about it. And as you said, Owen, like Apple, obviously the, the FANG stocks are leading the market now. Who's to say that's going to be the same case in 10 or 15 years time? And yeah. by that time, if you're changing your portfolio and rotating out, it's almost too late. Yeah. So by being in a very um, simple approach that's like market cap weighted, so weighting by the highest size, you're naturally just going to own the winners. And when considering there's about 4 to 6% of stocks which drive pretty much the entire share, shareholder wealth, um, you want your kids to be invested in that. Because if they miss that boat, that can really impact you know, some of their goals and you want to set them off on the right foot, the right foot. So yeah, for me, it, it's a, it's a no brainer when it comes to, um, kids investing ETFs are a great vehicle for that. Wonderful. Um, so we're going to talk a bit about passive income, about mm -hmm. how to use income focused ETFs mm -hmm. and these types of things to construct a portfolio. But before we get to that, maybe just a bit of an introduction to you. It's your first time on the podcast. Yep. I'm familiar with your background, uh, and some of our listeners definitely would be, but how did you end up here at GlobalX? Yeah, so, so I started in the industry in the accounting world, actually. Um, right. But for me, I was working for one of the big four accounting firms, um, but it wasn't 100% for me. I wanted to be more involved in investing and markets and what's going on within the financial services area. Mm -hmm. uh, so I moved into one of the largest wealth managers um, in Australia, um, did a few years there before moving to one of the US investment banks, Morgan Stanley, um, working for a you know very capable research team over there. And that's where I really started to hone in on this niche around ETFs. I was looking at after ETFs for the Asia Pacific region over there. 
Um, and then from there, um, I l- learned about a little business called uh, Stockspot, mm. um, and I knew Chris quite well. Um, and through there, we, you know, we, we chatted and he was looking for someone to come on board. Um, and they obviously a big proponent of investing in ETFs as well. Mm. So moved over to there, did about five years then, you know, the fact that I just love ETFs, super passionate about, I think it's a fantastic vehicle, only been around for, you know, 20 to 25 years in Australia, a little bit longer mm. overseas. Um, and yeah, I wanted to work obviously for one of the leading ETF issuers in the market. Uh, Global X made, made a lot of sense. Uh, obviously, there's a little bit of um, activity in terms of ownership around Stockspot and Global X. I made the transition a lot nicer. So keeping under the same family. And yeah, been here and loving every moment of it so far. Great, mate. Great. And you're primarily focused on income and these types of things yep. through the lens of ETFs. That's and, right. Yeah, how to extract the value that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the things, and we were talking about this off air, I gave you an example of someone that I know who um, who has been a very, very successful investor in their own right. Like I don't know if they've outperformed the benchmark or whatever, but they've created a significant amount of wealth for themselves totally independently um, without a help of an advisor. And there's a lot of people in Australia that are unadvised People think that if someone's unadvised, they have a small portfolio, mm. but that's definitely not the case in mm-hmm. my experience. Like a lot of people who are self-directed uh, do very well for themselves. And there's a lot of them that listen to this podcast, for example. Uh, can you maybe explain where maybe some of the misconceptions, maybe that's the wrong way to frame this, mm. but like the similarities, differences with traditional investment vehicles and ETFs, yep. because in this instance that I'm thinking of, um, a lot of people in the kind of the older demographic, I would say, um, not to characterize it too much, but in that demographic, they still don't fully understand ETFs. And they've heard maybe things from active managers or from the media that says ETF bubbles and these types of things. So can you maybe just contrast or introduce people to using ETFs for income? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, being in the industry now for you know over a decade, I've seen the number of Armageddonists of people against ETFs and, and index investing. Mm. Um, but it's really quite simple because all an ETF is, is just a wrapper, right? It's just a structure that holds a bunch of securities, very, very similar to a managed fund, um, which a lot of your um, listeners might be um, quite familiar with. Mm. I guess the key differences come with three or four key points. One is around the accessibility. So a lot of people couldn't access managed funds because of the initial high minimum amounts that could be in there. Yep. A lot of it could only be available on platform. Um, the great thing about an ETF is, you know, you can just invest with a few hundred dollars. You can start, you know, starting your portfolio in, in mm. an ETF like that. So accessibility is one. Um, the tradability and liquidity is another one. Now, I'm not a huge advocate for saying you should be trading in and out, yeah, like sure. stock picking per se. But the fact that you are able to get in and out throughout the day uh, is a fantastic um, tool for uh, someone who wants to uh, be just have that comfort level that if they do need to sell their portfolio, there will be a buyer on the other side. Um, And another one which isn't talked about too much is the tax efficiency. Um, So because ETFs are, they open-ended, similar to a managed fund, but they have this unique creation redemption process. And because of that inherent built within the tax, within the ETF structure itself, you are benefiting by lowering your, your, um, the taxation impact, especially around capital gains. If you're in a managed fund structure per se with other investors, even though it's a pool vehicle, if one investor sells and the fund manager has to sell some of the shares, the rest of the investors are going to bear the cost of that. Yeah. Where in the ETF, you don't get that same thing. Um, but they both, in terms of income, are great tools for um, sourcing your income um, because at the end of the day, um, all income that's passed through a managed investment trust like an ETF or like a managed fund gets dispersed. It's legally dispersed to the actual income owners. Yep. The, um, I guess the, the negative around investing in single stocks or like listed investment companies, as an example, is you're at the discretion of um, the company. Um, they might choose to hold on to dividends. They might choose to streamline those dividends over multiple periods. You don't get it all at one go. Um, so there are some obviously reasonable differences between the two. Um, and turnover is, is another thing as well. Yeah. Um, high, you know, actively managed funds trading in and out of a lot of stocks that can hurt in terms of brokerage, transaction costs, that obviously eats into your return, both your price mm-hmm. return and your income return. Um, so those are some of the, the key differences between the two, but you know they all great vehicles because whether it's in tri- investing in a traditional managed fund or an ETF, a lot of that is gonna own a lot of underlying stocks. Um, whereas a lot of people were used to just picking stocks and relying on those dividends. Sometimes those become extinct, yep. they will, liquidate, they won't exist in the, in the share market over the next like five, 10 years. 
Um, you know, Timber Corp's a great example of that. Yeah. A lot of people got really hurt by that. It was paying a very decent dividend yield leading into the GFC. Um, but, you know, a, a lot of people um, bought into it and eventually became unlisted. So mm-hmm. um, I'm a big proponent of people diversifying their risk across a fund like an ETF, um, just so that you get that exposure across multiple shares, but also can get multiple sources of income as well. You're not just relying on a dividend, but you can get a lot of other sources of that income, which we can dive into later as well. Yeah. Can you maybe um, just double click on the kind of the turnover aspects mm-hmm. of an ETF like one of the things that I, I talk about this quite a bit but not a lot of people understand what it actually means to their tax return or like yep. to their their taxable position can you talk to that a bit yeah so pretty much turnover is a concept that talk, just talks about how much stocks are moving in and out of a portfolio per se um, and the great thing about an ETF is because um, it's a rules-based system and it only um, rebalances on uh, whether it's on a quarterly basis semi-annual basis or an annual basis you're not seeing too much trading within that um, and anytime you have to sell a share and buy a new one, there's a taxable event that happens. So mm. when you're looking at a traditional fund that has a high, what we call an active share or high turnover, um, it's a lot of in and out trading, closing mm. positions. When someone has to sell, they have to actually, uh, when someone redeems from the fund, they have to sell the underlying stock. Um, and that uh, hurts in two aspects. One is obviously all the brokerage and trading costs that I was talking mm. about before, which is into returns. Um, but then there's also um, a taxable event that has to be borne by um, all the shareholders. And I think there was a great stat, um, you know, 2022 and 2023 wasn't a great year, but, you know, after the COVID boom um, and leading into 2021, um, I think it was a study done by Morningstar in the US that showed that I think it was about um, 70% of managed funds had a um, capital gains um, taxable event that they had to actually distribute to shareholders, whereas ETFs only had, I think it was about 10% of funds only had wow. that taxable event. So ETFs are a great structure through the creation re- redemption mechanism, but also due to the fact that they have low turnover. They're index-based. They're not trying to actively, mm. um, trying to buy and sell sh- uh, stocks on such a high frequency. Um, and whenever that happens, and especially in an ETF structure, um, the capital gains gets dispersed to um, the the unit holders. Yeah. Um, when you get a distribution, you know you might see fifty cents, but in that fifty cents, it could be thirty percent dividends, ten uh, percent interest, and then another 10, uh, ten cents could be from the capital gains. Yep. And that's why you'll see a lot of uh, sometimes ETFs uh, will fall in price on their X distribution date, and it could be realizing a lot of capital gains. Yep. Um, so capital gains is still an important component of your um, overall return. Um, but from a turnover perspective, you want to limit the turnover because that eats into your returns and the less you do, the more you're going to get. Yep. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in investing in funds with low turnover um, because that's generally what what tends to drive better outcomes for investors. Yeah, because a lot of people don't fully grasp that idea of turning over in a portfolio because historically with managed funds, actively managed mm. funds, you don't get to see the full portfolio. They don't tell you what the turnover is necessarily. That's right. And, and that, that's a testament to the transparency of the ETF wrapper, you know, and not every investor you know, I'm sure some of your audience don't have access to, you know, the Bloomberg screens or some of the Morningstar database that you can actually see it. And they don't want to individually calculate, oh, what was the holdings, yeah. you know, six months ago and what's it now? Let me calculate the two-way turnover. It just doesn't work. Whereas an ETF provider can come and, you know, tell that information to you. Like how much turnover is there at their most recent rebalance date? How much has mm. it been over the last year? Um, and yeah, it's not a metric that a lot of people are looked into. into. So yeah, if you are in a, uh, in a managed fund, you should ask, you know, how much uh, turnover do you have? How much active share? What's your uh, tracking to the benchmark? Because it's a it's an important um, metric that investors need to look at. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And for core portfolios, for anyone that's like, even, even though some people might say in retirement that, oh, hey, you know, it's like a different taxable environment. Mm. It's still really important because yeah. um, you could maybe collect franking credits if you understand how the tax implications all flow through. That, that's these right. sorts of things. Yeah, exactly. And on your point about franking credits, there's obviously a holding period that needs to be met of 45 days. Yeah. So if you've got an active fund that's, you know, trading Australian securities and they're not holding it and not meeting that holding period rule, I don't want to get too ta- technical on the franking credits rule, but there's a couple rules that it needs to service. Um, you're not going to benefit from that. Yeah. So having a lot of time um, actually in these shares with less turnover actually benefits you in the long run as well um and turnover is normal you know what i mean like it's it'd be very rare to see a fund with zero percent turnover because then you're literally not rebalancing and rebalancing is an important component um to make sure that you're taking the right level of risk but also ensuring that you're still owning the winners and the great thing about an etf is obviously tracking an index as it falls out of the rules it'll be booted out of the index and 
the new businesses will arise. That's part of that whole turnover. So you do want some turnover in your portfolio, but you should definitely be trying to limit it um, mm. just to obviously improve your overall returns. But also to your point, Owen, get some of those extra credits through things like franking credits, foreign income tax offsets, which um, aids your return in the long run on an after-tax basis. Absolutely, it does. Um, I mean, there are a few things I'd like to talk about, uh, and in, in particular, some products that mm. Godlux offers. Mm. But uh, before we get to that, the, the, the one final thing I have on this kind of tax question is, and this is a query, and we did get a few of these come through um, the podcast questions inbox. The, the idea that people still have this belief that high-income earners, it's not tax efficient like, mm. for high-income earners to use ETFs. True, false? Like, How do you think about that? Look, I, I, I don't really believe that, you know, ta tax shouldn't be a, an investment strategy per se, you know, tax is kind of a byproduct of um, some of your other goals. So you should never invest just for particularly tax reasons. It's kind of like that added benefit on the side. Yeah. Um, but ETFs to itself have less, are, are more tax efficient, having less taxable events than yeah. other structures. So to that point, I'd say anyone who's looking to um, increase their tax efficiency, the ETF wrapper would be perfect for that. Yeah. Um, the great thing about um, also the, the the income side of things is the ETF issue will, um, uh, through its registry, will show all the different components of yeah. the underlying ETFs as well. So you can actually apportion from your distribution, how much of it is from the actual interest itself, how much of it is from foreign income, how much of it is from um, the actual uh, dividends themselves from the underlying companies. So just getting that like transparency level is fantastic, I would yeah. say for an investor. Um, and to your point, there's all these added benefits as well that you get from owning the ETF, the, the franking credits, the foreign income tax offsets, and the fact that that gets to be dispersed to clients. I mean, you're getting all the income that you're owed. Um, the where a lot of people probably go wrong is they try and invest in the most tax efficient vehicle. And that can lead to taking sector bets or investing in tax, investing, uh, tax efficient um, underlying securities. And that can kind of, you know, kind of lead you astray in terms of where you're looking for your overall portfolio. Mm. Um, but a lot of it is just simplicity. Um, and I'm sure you get a lot of people on your um, show that talk about, oh, but you know, this particular product is so much more um, tax efficient or this product is showing this much franking credits. It's mm. People shouldn't be investing just for the benefit of tax. Yeah. That, that should be a, a byproduct of your overall investment strategy. Um, and I don't want to obviously give any taxation advice because I'm not licensed to give tax <laughs> advice. Um, but you know, you, sometimes you do see it with things like, uh, we were talking about kids before, investment bonds, right? Yeah. Um, really popular uh, with for investing for kids. Um, however, a lot of the, the, I mean, the problem I've seen with investment bonds per se is while they are a tax efficient structure, they charge high fees. Yeah, they do. And they sometimes don't invest in low cost ETFs or low cost index options. So it's a bit of a balancing act, but I definitely think that for someone who's tax conscious and someone who's looking for income, ETFs are a great vehicle to play both of those. Yeah, great. I love that explanation. Thanks for that. Um, so we're going to spend the, the, the probably the remainder of this talking about more specific products that are in the GX yep. lineup. Yep. Uh, and I'll refer people back to the website. So there's more information. There's lots of, lots of literature there, particularly about some of these, these funds that we're about to talk to because um, we have had a lot of questions come through on this first one, which is the idea of covered call mm -hmm. strategies, buy right strategies. Um, so some people have, uh, have turned their attention to income over the last couple of years um, because they thought, well, you know, interest rates are a bit higher. How can I extract more income? Um, how can I kind of beat the interest in my bank account? These types mm. of things. Um, so we'll talk through a few of those. Mm -hmm. um, the first ETF is one that we've never spoken about on the show, as far mm -hmm. as I can recall, which is the, it goes by the ticker symbol AYLD. And this is a covered call ETF, if I'm not mistaken. Um, my understanding, ASX 200 with a covered call strategy attached to it. First of all, maybe let's just talk about what are covered calls yep. and then we'll dive into the strategy itself. Sure. So yeah, covered calls um, are not a new investment strategy. People have been doing this for, for decades. Um, the great thing about an ETF structure is we've been able to democratize it and make it very accessible because a lot of people who are wanting to get action, uh, access to the options market uh, found it really prohibitive, um, whether it be the time involved, uh, the cost involved, the risk involved. Um, so it's very nice that it gets to be packaged in one easy tradable product. Mm -hmm. um, so a covered call, also known as a buy right strategy, employs two tactics. One is um, owning the underlying basket of shares. And the second part is selling or writing um, a call option on those shares or on those securities. Um, and they work in tandem. Um, now, the benefit of that is you still get to uh, benefit from the underlying shares if those appreciate over time. Um, but then you also get to derive a, an income source, an income base from selling those call options. Because um, when you're, a call option is just um, the right um, 
uh, but not the obligation to buy something at a point in time. So you're giving this, the, the buyer of that the right to buy the shares at a certain point in time. And for that right or for that privilege, they pay you a premium. So that just adds mm -hmm. to that income source. And where we're seeing a lot of clients using um, products like, a, like our um, AYLD ETF is they're looking to diversify their income source away. And to your point, Owen, you know, t times are a little bit tough at the moment. You know, mm -hmm. I, I read some stats that, you know, real household um, uh, uh, wealth or just in terms of like your, your incomes have actually declined to some of their lowest levels mm -hmm. in, in, in a while just because of the, the interest rate burden that people are doing to service their mortgage inflationary pressures that's going on. A lot of the banks aren't passing on all the interest rates to their customers. So a lot of people need to maintain their purchasing power. Um, so they need to look for um, income sources, but also in a diversified way. And the great thing about a covered call strategy is you're benefiting income from three main sources. One is the dividends from the underlying shares. Two is the franking credits that you get from owning those shares. And then the third is the options premium. Mm. Um, and a lot of people get quite scared around options. They think, oh, derivatives, what's the risk involved? Is this going to be another GFC? Um, but the great thing about a strategy like AYLD is it's just writing um, uh, exchange-traded options, which is just uh, call options on the underlying securities. So we match 100% um, of the notional value of the shares to those call options. Um, the only negative with a, a product like AYLD is um, during rising markets, your um, return is capped. Because obviously, if the price goes above the, the strike price, the buyer is going to mm. exercise the price. But again, you're foregoing that capital gain for that income focus. Um, and I think a lot of investors should focus on the total return aspect, both using the capital and the income side of things, um, because covered calls are a great way to um, do really well when um, share markets don't perform as well. Obviously, over the long run, they can perform quite well, but during down markets, during sideways market, um, and also during volatile markets, um, mm. covered calls are a great, great way to monetize volatility um, because the more volatile that's going, the more volatility there is in the market, the more premiums you can actually receive for um, giving that, that option to a buyer. Yeah. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of popularity in covered calls. Um, there was a lot of uh, covered call strategies in the US, which gained a lot of popularity over the last couple of yeah, years. Been, yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess it's just a way that people are just looking to diversify their income sources, um, but also protect on the downside as well, because by getting that income, you're also adding a level of protection in your portfolio. Let's say share markets fall quite a bit, which they're prone to every few years. Um, that income acts as a bit of a buffer for you. Um, and the great thing about an ETF is all the income, whether it's from the options, the franking credits, the dividends, mm. gets dispersed to you. So you're getting that more predictable income stream. Mm. Uh, so yeah, we're seeing a lot of income-focused investors uh, gravitating towards our covered call strategies. Yeah, I like that. Um, I'm going to use some very simple math here, and it's mm -hmm. not going to be indicative of the actual yeah. um, economics of these yep. things, but maybe to help people truly understand this. So you might have say uh, a $10 portfolio mm -hmm. um, and you sell an option over the top. Mm -hmm. So you might collect $1. Mm -hmm. So you've got a little bit of that, that income that comes. Mm -hmm. But in return for that $1, you're basically saying to the person that gives you that $1, if the share portfolio rises to a certain extent, then we're obligated to sell it to you for a set price. That's right. Yeah. So when you're selling call options, uh, and you know, don't want to get too technical, but you can when you're selling the options, there's certain moneyless levels they call to it. Yeah. So um, the pretty much it just ba it's based on the strike price of mm -hmm. what the underlying index is going to be versus the price it is today. Um, so for AYLD strategy, we write what's called at the money call options, which means that the share price is equal to the strike price. Obviously, if the share price mm -hmm. is above that strike price, the buyer is going to exercise the right because they can obviously buy it at a lower price and sell it later for a higher price. Um, but the benefit of writing an at-the-money call option, so in your example, let's say it's that $10 mark, mm -hmm. um, you'll be paying a dollar for it. Um, investors on the other side of buying these call options are quite attracted to an at-the-money call option or what's called an in-the-money call yeah. option because there's a higher chance that it's going to be in the money. They'll benefit from it. Um, I read a stat that um, I think it was about 30 to 35% of options actually expire worthless, um, which means that it stays out of the money. Yeah. Um, and that's a benefit for a, um, a covered call strategy because if it expires worthless, you don't have to sell anything. Yeah, you've right? collected the one dollar. You collect the one dollar. That's fine. Exactly right. You're still owning the underlying shares as well, and the the buyer isn't going to exercise it. Yeah. So I guess that's a benefit of focusing um, on you know whether it's the when you're focusing on out of the money call options. Um, there's obviously you get that capital price appreciation opportunity, but we're trying to maximize yield for our clients, and that's why we've tried to focus on that 
at the money call option, mm. um, which is where that exercise price, so that ten dollars, is equal to the strike price. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for us, it's obviously there's a you know there's a payoff diagram when it comes to this sort of thing that it will be kind of covered and there will be that shelter in terms of that price return yeah. that you can uh, achieve. Um, but you know, in markets like Australia, where we've seen um, the share market pretty much, you know, it's obviously reached new highs, but it has trended sideways for the better part of, you know, the last 10 to 15 years since the GFC. Um, it's actually been a, a really good strategy that's kept up with the, the broader index. Mm. Um, and I read another stat as well. I think someone in our team was showing that if you look at some of the biggest banks in, um, in Australia, um, with the exception of, I think, Macquarie and CBA, all of them have had negative price returns, yeah, right? Have, yeah. So yeah. all of it is coming from distributions. And that's kind of a strategy where a covered call strategy really makes a lot of sense because um, obviously never being um, in the money, the call option isn't gonna get called upon. Yeah. So it's always gonna be out of the money. You'll collect your premium. You'll still benefit obviously from that cap level of the price gains um, and you're collecting the distributions from the underlying mm -hmm. companies. So that's where we're seeing in Australia, a lot, it makes a lot of sense for clients either to you know, take a part of their core portfolio and allocate a little bit to um, a strategy like AYLD or just to enhance um, the overall profile of your portfolio and diversify your income source away to add not just that options premium that you get, but also adding the low volatility levels it has, the downside protection. Um, so yeah, we're seeing a lot more clients go into uh, the AYLD strategy, which has been great for us. Yeah, cool. I'll maybe just add one more final thing there, which is that if the portfolio was the falling value, no one's going to make a claim on your option. No. So you collect the $1 in advance just for people that didn't understand That's that. Right. Yes. Exactly right. Yeah. You, you'll collect the option. And a lot of people also wonder, you know, is there any counterparty risk with things like this? The great thing about, you know, trading exchange traded options is it's a highly regulated environment. You're not trading options on single stocks or exchange linked notes or anything crazy that's traded over the counter. So there is the, the clearinghouse that obviously uh, manages that for you. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you'll collect your premium. And as part of the ETF distributions, you'll get that premium as well. Um, so, you know, our track, our AYLD ETF has been around now for a year. It's just coming up. I think it's just past its one year birthday. Um, and we've seen that you can generate up to returns of around, you know, 4% um, extra in terms of that income return purely from writing options. Um, and it hasn't come with any um, negativity in terms of the prices. Actually, it's actually, you know, done really well over the last year compared to the broader ASX index, um, even after fees. Mm. So great income source for clients, especially looking to diversify. Um, and you're right. Oh, no one's going to take that premium away from you. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we're seeing a lot more clients get a bit more familiar with the structure. It's still very, very new in Australia um, in terms of the, you know, the covered call ETF strategy. There are a few out there, but the great thing about our strategy is it's the only uh, passive one in the market. There's a few active strategies out there uh, but to our point around mm. you know active stock picking and choosing um, when to write these options having a rules-based strategy uh, really works well and ha obviously helps bring the cost down as well for sure why do you think the the uh, options strategy the cover calls buy right whatever you want to call them mm. why do you think they're more popular in the US I think mainly in the US one is around I guess the product innovation side of things. So there were a lot of covered call um, ETFs, particularly that did really well um, over the last couple of years. Um, JP Morgan had a product over there, Jeppy, which was a pretty much a cash cow in terms of getting so many, so many flows into a product like that. Um, I think the main reason why it works, um, why the US was a lot more popular, especially during the low interest rate environment, is because the actual payout ratios of a lot of US companies is yeah. next to zero. You know, yeah. you're getting one to two percent dividend returns on like the NASDAQ or S&P 500, because a lot of them are obviously choosing to reinvest in their business. So for a lot of income focused investors in the US, they're looking for alternative ways to do it. You know, mm. not every market is like in Australia where since the turn of the millennium, over 50% of the return has been generated purely from dividends. Yeah. Um, so the US don't really have those dividend darlings. They've got a few like dividend aristocrats and things like that. Um, but we did see a lot of money going into these products, especially during COVID um, afterwards because people were hungry for yield and they couldn't rely on their five to 6% fully frank dividends that we can rely on in Australia. Mm. Mm. Um, and it also made a lot of sense during a highly volatile market. COVID was some of the highest volatility we've seen um, you know, for, for, for decades. And again, option strategies work during volatile markets because you can monetize that volatility, you can collect a sure. premium, um, but also benefit um, if markets do fall because um, you're obviously collecting the income and you can protect your portfolio from doing that. It's not as much of a diversifier as like gold or bonds, um, but a lot of people were very interested in these high returns. 
Um, it's important to note investors shouldn't be, you know, swayed if they're seeing, you know, 15% returns, 20% income returns. They should really look at a total return perspective, combining both the income and the growth side. Um, but I think we're starting to see a lot more um, investors in Australia saying, oh, this happened in the US. How can we apply it to Australia? And, and I actually think the Australian market is actually a lot more suitable to a covered call strategy because um, in terms of the, we were talking Owen, before about the two components of, of uh, returns, price and income. Yeah. In Australia, income has been the main driver. Like the ASX 200 is pretty much sideways, whereas the NASDAQ um, 100 or S&P 500, it's pretty much all driven by price growth. Yeah. So I think uh, in a market like Australia, we are seeing a little bit more choppiness in terms of the price return, not the income return, because that's a huge component of it. Um, we're going to probably start to see a lot more acceleration into uh, covered call strategies. Um, and we've even seen to date a lot more money coming into our AYLD fund as well. Mm. Um, so it's probably just taking a lot of um, resemblance to what happened in the US a lot earlier on. And now covered calls in the US isn't as popular as it was over the last couple of years. You know, mm. the 2023 wasn't the most popular year for it um, because obviously markets rallied really hard yep. and that's where we'll hurt a covered call performance. Um, but yeah, we're, we're still pretty bullish on the whole uh, covered call industry here in Australia. And we've got a product that not just covers Australia, but we also have yep. the US products as well covering the S&P. 500 and NASDAQ, uh, but the ASX 200 product's been far more popular. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that we're getting a lot of questions on. I, I, I can't remember who sent it in, but that we we have had a lot of questions about mm. these recently. Mm. So um, thanks for covering that off. The the other one which people, um, and I quite like this ETF actually, mm. uh, the other one that people are probably more familiar with, or at least understand it a bit more intuitively, um, is ZYAU. Yep. This ETF is more familiar because it, it doesn't have the derivative strategy as far as I'm aware. That's right. So effectively, you're capturing franking credits, you're capturing dividend yields. Can you talk us through this product? Um, let's start with like the kind of like why it was designed the way it was designed. Yep. And then let's think about how things make its way into that make their way into the portfolio. Definitely. So for us, you know, GlobalX, we were focusing on providing an income suite of products. So covered calls is one. We've got our fixed income products, but this um, this high yielding equity option, the high yielding shares, was definitely one that we wanted to bring to market for for clients because a lot of them, uh, a lot of our clients are using them as core building blocks to their portfolios. You can have your basic ASX two hundred ETF, but a lot of it just want that extra few percent in yeah. income, which can really mean a lot to people in terms of the, the current landscape that you're in. So we were focusing on a strategy that, you know, didn't deviate too much from the broader benchmark because otherwise you're taking a lot of, you know, sector or stock risk, but that can provide that enhanced level of yield. So that was the main premise behind mm -hmm. the product. Um, and I think the, in terms of how this product actually works itself, it's actually very simple. And for me, simple products probably make the most sense mm. to people because you can just read it. It says exactly the name on the tin and just investors can actually digest it a lot easier. Um, so what it starts with is it starts with the um, ASX 200 universe and it looks for all the companies on what their forecasted dividend yield is going to be. So over the next 12 months, um, it uses data from S&P Cap IQ to have a look at what analysts um, and consensus is thought of to be for the next 12 months. And I like taking that um, forward looking view. It's like, you know, when you're driving a car, you want to see where you're going. You don't want to see what's been in the mm. past. You avoid but, the value traps that way. Yeah. Well, exactly. Because yeah. a lot of the time, a lot of uh, if you're investing in a lot of uh, dividend ETFs, the it might be retrospective looking. So if a share price drops by, let's say, 50 or 60%, the yield all of a sudden looks incredibly attractive if it's still paying the same um, dividend. So that's the that's the negative around if you want to avoid those dividend traps. If a share price falls, the um, yield will increase, and that's something that you want to try and look um, try and avoid. So having that you know forecasted view is really good, um, and it's probably a lot more prudent way of investing um, when it comes to income strategies. Um, and then from that, what it does is it actually to to your point, Owen, around removing some of those um, dividend traps. It actually removes um, some of the the bottom performers in terms of who's experienced some of the lowest price um, depletion. So it removes the bottom decile. So that's the bottom 10% of those original stocks right. that have experienced um, price declines, right? Or negative price momentum. And that's a great way to say like, oh, these are still going to pay forecasted future dividends, but maybe one of the reasons is because their prices have declined. Yep. So that's a nice little filter that it has as well. Then from that portfolio of stocks, um, how it weights it, which is actually quite um, unique compared to um, some other strategies, is a lot just looks at, you know, I'm just going to weight it by the highest dividend yield, you know? So the one mm. who pays a dividend yield of 12, 13, 14% is going to have the highest weight. And the one that pays a dividend yield of 5, 6% is going to have the lowest weight. This uses a blended approach, which takes both um, the float adjusted market capitalization, which is the size of the company, and multiplies it by the dividend yield. So you're getting that nice blend in terms of, it's almost like you're getting the size, so the market cap, plus the yield blended together. 
And that just ensures you're not taking too much sector bets or any, um, I guess, any drift away from the broader benchmark. Um, and the great thing about this ETF is it also implies, uh, sorry, applies a stock cap. So a stock can't be more than 10% um, in the underlying index and it can't actually deviate by a certain threshold compared to the broader benchmark. Yep. Um, it's also currently the lowest cost um, high yielding ETF share that covers the Australian market at 0.24%. Um, so yeah, we're seeing a lot more clients um, use it as the core mm. of their portfolios to add more income. And if you actually look at the underlying index um, that, that attracts now, um, uh, over the past 10 years, it's actually um, outperformed the, the broader share market. Yeah, right. um, not, not by much, but still, I think it was about 1% or 2% um, annualized over that period of time. Um, so it's a great way for clients to play the Australian market, but also get that enhanced income yeah. uh, as well. Um, and yeah, we're seeing obviously a lot more interest in that product. Um, we do have a US product as well, which uses also kind of a low volatility, high yielding aspect as well. Um, but ZYU is definitely um, our, our most popular in the high yielding suite. So when I looked at the the holdings of this, mm -hmm. I was actually it was really interesting because the because you get that blended mm -hmm. uh, approach, you do actually find that the, the the constituents or what's inside the the portfolio actually resembles what you see in a traditional um, like vanilla index fund, which I'd imagine is on purpose um, because it also would help people feel more comfortable knowing that they're still going to get equity-like returns, like stock market-like returns, but with income. That's exactly right. And a lot of these, what's called smart beta strategies, is you want to resemble what's going on in the broader stock market, but just adding a little tilt. Yeah. So whether it be, um, you know, there's low volatility products, there's high quality products, there's yielding products like our um, ZYU ETF. And that's what you want. You want to see, have a look at the top 10, have a look at all the underlying constituents and make sure, yep, that's an income strategy. That's an income strategy. It would be very weird to see like a high growth tech stock in there, which is why it has 0% allocation mm. to technology. Um, and you don't want to deviate too much, otherwise then you're going to, what's called, you know, taking this like tracking error, or you're going to, yeah. you know, wildly be different to your neighbor who's just owned a ASX 200 ETF up 10% and you're kind of only up 5%. So that's mm. why we take that blended approach because it's really just true to label. It wants to be seen as an income generating asset, but still owning that asset class, which is Australian equities, mm. Australian shares. And that's why that blended approach makes a lot of sense. How about, you mentioned something earlier on, you referenced the 45 day rule, mm -hmm. which is for those of you that don't understand, it's a, in Australia, people think that you just get franking credits if the company pays a dividend. That's not the way it works. You mm -hmm. have to hold the, the shares at risk. That's so right. meaning you have to own them for That's 45 right. days That's or right. longer. Um, how does this ETF deal with that? Well, the great thing about this ETF is when it's um, rebalancing, it rebalances um, every six months. So oh, a lot of the time, this ETF, it pays distributions quarterly, but it only rebalances every six months. Um, we just had the most recent rebalance now in January, um, where stocks obviously get deleted and stocks get added to the underlying portfolio. So with a strategy like this, you're going to expect that that holding period rule is going to meet it. Um, and then the other um, rule when it comes to franking credits is it has to be paid to the actual owner, yeah. um, the, the unit holder. And because as an ETF, as part of a managed investment trust, you're a unit holder in the underlying ETF, you're going to obviously benefit from that. Yeah. So that's how it gets around those type of products. Um, you know, we can go into a bit more technical details around like the covered call strategies around how that is relating to franking credits, but that's a whole um, other side of things when it comes to a very simple product like a ZYU. Um, yeah, they, they're going to be held what's called at risk for that 45 uh, day period because of that nature of that rebalancing frequency. And that's why it was important when we were talking with um, the index provider to make sure that we're not rebalancing too often because then you're not going to benefit from those franking credits as well. Mm. So having that six month, that every six month rebalance uh, cycle makes a lot of sense for a strategy like this. Why don't we go there just for a second about mm. that cover call strategy? So just to revert back to the other ETF yeah. for a moment. How does that work with franking credits? Yeah, so it's probably a question we get. Um, it's probably one of the most questions that we we do get in terms of, am I going to get franking credits from a yeah. covered call strategy? Because um, these covered call strategies um, are pretty much written every quarter, right? So mm -hmm. um, it's going to write new covered calls, new new call options um, at the end of every uh, quarter and roll into new ones. Um, the the it really comes down to options dynamics, and I don't want to get into too much <laughs> geek and, and 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 nerd out mode. Um, but it has to do with uh, with the delta of an option, which is pretty much its sensitivity to a price change. Um, and when you're writing at the money call options, you're going to naturally get a delta of 0.5, is what it's called. And the um, the ATO defines at risk um, in terms of the um, to be enabled for those franking credits um, to have a delta of 0.3. 
So oh, okay. when you're writing, right. yeah, and yeah. it's obviously going to differ if you're writing out of the money call options versus in the money. Um, and naturally, you know, sometimes it may fall below that point um, three range. Uh, it'll, it'll, sometimes it falls above it. But because we're writing um, at the money call options, you're naturally going to be at that 0.5 range, which ensures that you're going to be holding it for that period of time. Um, a strategy also like AYLD, as it naturally builds up more of a fund base and gets more investor assets into it, it's naturally going to be able to buy and hold these securities for longer periods of time. So you'll naturally benefit from those franking credits. And when you're looking at the components of the return, um, you obviously um, get the, the dividends itself, you get the options premium. And then the franking credits adds just an extra like percent or two to your overall return. So it's a little bit different to mm. owning just a basket of shares where you've got to meet that 45-day rule. With an option-based strategy, it's a little bit more dynamic and it has to deal with the actual uh, call options themselves. Uh, but the fact that we're writing at the money call options and meeting that 0.3 figure yeah. that the ATO have said um, makes it uh, eligible for franking credits. Yeah, yeah, that's great because um, I have seen products in the past that do not meet like early days, yeah. um, some active strategies and that they were designed like overseas and some mm -hmm. people bring them to Australia. And then you invest them and you realize you're not eligible for all of the frank credits. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. So I just don't want to confuse anyone. We've got AYLD or yep. sense, it looks like it stands for Australia Yield. Yield, yeah. yeah. That's a good um, way to think about so it. So that's the covered call strategy. And then ZYAU yep. is for their kind of um, more vanilla style, uh, focusing on those high dividend yield companies. That's, that's right. And yeah. we're seeing a lot of clients actually blend the two strategies together. Because right. um, the, the benefit of um, the covered call strategy is you're getting that, that options premium, which adds that extra layer of... Um, of, of income, um, but also, you know, in a, in a downwards market or a sideways market, while you're still getting the income, a, a covered call strategy might do a little bit better um, because mm -hmm. you're obviously not, for, you're not going to be falling as much. You're going to co collect that premium. Um, so we're seeing a lot of clients blend the two together because it can actually add a lot of ballast in your portfolio. You're still getting the same equity type risk, but you're actually kind of reducing that downside um, volatility by collection, collecting the options. So that's where a lot of clients who are like, look, this covered call strategy sounds interesting, but I'm not sure I want to allocate 100% of my portfolio to it. That's where you can actually blend it in quite nicely by having a you know small part of your Australian equities exposure to this to actually get that income source as well. So they're two great products for, for an income investor. Yeah, great. Um, I should say, we're going to talk more about one ETF in a moment, but uh, I should say we are hoping to do a bit of a webinar and income webinar with you in the next few months. So if you do have any questions for Mark and you want to talk about these types of things, um, you can come along and ask us. So just keep an eye out for an, an email or on the podcast, we will announce it. Um, the other side of a portfolio is obviously fixed income. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to just single this one out quickly here at the end because fixed income over the last two years has all of a sudden become relevant. Become interesting, right? Yeah, yeah, and everyone's talking about bonds, they're talking about credit, they're talking about, well, now I can get this, that, and this, and that. Um, and it all of a sudden, especially for retirees, which make up a big part of our audience, um, they're all of a sudden realizing, hey, this is great. You know, I've got my cash in a high interest term deposit. My portfolio is diversified across fixed income and shares, mm -hmm. and I can get this. One of the ETFs, I remember talking on the podcast about this. This is oh, a while ago now. It was USTB, mm -hmm. um, UST bills. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is the ETF USTB for those of you that are tracking it in your portfolios or on your um, brokerage account watch lists. Um, this ETF, I, I feel like it broke records in how quick, I don't know if it did, but I feel like it. the amount of money that got invested into it was Yeah, it was just, one of the fastest growing ETFs. Yeah. And just to correct you, there was, um, there's treasury bills, but this is a treasury bonds. Oh, treasury so bonds, it's looking yeah, at yeah, like sorry, government yeah. bonds from the, the US uh, Treasury Department. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been one of our most successful ETFs, currently managing around 700 which million, is which is like, yeah, <laughs> what was literally our fastest growing ETF that we've seen in, in a long time. I remember um, when this came out, just quickly, I remember when yeah. this came out, I was thinking, oh, I don't know if the time's right, but yeah. I remember speaking to the, the, the team at the time and they're like, oh, actually, you know, and then I started to think more about like where people are positioning portfolios, where the industry is going. And interest rates, generally speaking, like yes. Yeah, so, sometimes you get a lot of timing luck with these sort of things, but we're always trying to bring out products that are that are relevant to investors, and also trying to anticipate what's going on in the market. And we saw a unique gap that a lot of investors, just in their portfolios, have Australian bonds, which serves its purpose. Obviously, people yeah. want to you know match their assets and their liabilities yeah. using the same currency and using the same domicile that they're in. But you're missing out on such a big bond market out there. The Australian market's a tiny slither. The US bond market is the biggest in the world. Yeah. Um, and both countries can have different interest rate cycles as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we're seeing it now with, um, I mean, there's obviously been hotter than inflation numbers that have come out of the US and people are expecting interest rates to kind of stay a little bit sticky over there. But the market was pricing in a lot more cuts than it was in the Australian market, as an example. And being invested in US treasury bonds 
investors can get that benefit as well. Plus Australia, um, and by benefit, I mean, if obviously the interest rates fall, the capital value of the bonds will, will increase given their inverse relationship. Um, but, you know, Australia was kind of behind. They're about six to 12 months behind mm. on some other uh, developed economies like the US. So for people who wanted to get that, that high yield, and now, you know, they've kind of reverted back to both government bonds paying relatively the same um, mm. yield, but US bonds were paying way more, you know, last year than Australian government bonds. And that's where we saw a lot of investors rotating into an asset like this, not just because of the yield differential that you can get. US treasury bonds are seen as kind of a safe haven if yeah. all, you know, goes to hell and there's a there's this rush to safety. US treasury bonds being the reserve currency that it is, um, is seen as that, that, that safe haven, similar to our gold product as well. Um, but also, you know, every economy, you know, dances to their own tune. You know, we, you know, when the, there's a saying that when the US catches a coal, you know, we get a, a sniff from yeah. it as well or the other way around. Um, so by kind of people diversifying their portfolios and playing a bit more of a geographic lens and looking at US bonds, um, we've got a suite of products that covers US bonds from treasury bonds, USTB. We've got um, our investment grade bonds as well. So that's investing in corporate bonds, USIG mm -hmm. is a ticket code. Or if people are interested in playing a little bit of the, the high yield market over there, high yield corporate bonds, um, USHI, USHY is the ticket code for that. Uh, but by far, US treasury bond is um, by far been our most popular. It's been mm. very popular with advisors, um, very popular um, with people who are looking to add that you know, defensive mix and that geographic diversification to their portfolios. Um, and yeah, it's been a, tr a tremendous success story. Um, but yeah, we're always looking to bring out products within that fixed income world mm. because people are now starting to look at that, you know, in the 60-40 portfolio, the 40 all of a sudden is paying something. And that's yeah. all of a sudden quite interesting. Absolutely. Which is uh, which is fantastic for income investors, um, especially those in the retirement phase where a lot of it um, of investors tend to have a lot more of their assets in the defensive side of things, yeah. um, just for that defensive protection. And a lot of people during um, 2020, 2021, because bonds were yielding nothing, were almost first to take on more risk, yeah. you know, go out on the risk curve, which they didn't seem too comfortable to do. And that's where they stretch into other types of investments, whether it be illiquid strategies or other things that were paying high yields. But the great thing is bonds are back. Um, they're trading at some of the highest levels in terms of the yield that we've seen in a while. Uh, and it's great for an income focused investor. Yeah. Love it. Um, so in terms of investors looking at this mm. uh, ETF, it, if you could, I know we could probably spend a whole day on this, but where would you probably put this in terms of a diversified portfolio? Like is it the lower end of the risk spectrum? Definitely like, on, the, yeah. on the lower end, yeah, yeah, because it's got that defensive characteristic. Um, even though, you know, bonds had a really tough year last year, but that's because inflation was at record highs, you know, yeah. and um, to combat that interest rates rose massively. So in a in a fixed rate bond like that, you're obviously going to see capital uh, falling. Uh, you'll see the, the value of the capital fall. And a lot of clients who were in defensive portfolios were like, why? why? Why is that the case? I thought bonds are meant to protect you. But because of that inverse relationship, people need to know that just because it's characterized as a defensive asset, it doesn't mean that it's going to um, you know, rise every single time. Different markets have different uh, environments. But in terms of where we're seeing clients position USTB in their portfolios, definitely on the, the lower end of the risk curve. So if you have yeah. a defensive bucket, let's say you know, a certain percentage of your portfolio is in bonds, um, you might want the majority to be in Australian bonds, uh, but you've still got this whole global market that you want to get access to. So we're seeing a lot of clients allocate money away from just primarily the Aussie domiciled bonds and moving it into US bonds or investing into international bonds per, per se. But a lot of people want to play the US market. It's looking very attractive at the moment in terms of the number of that interest rates um, cuts are, pre are predicted. Not as many as before. You know, mm. obviously, Jay Powell has come out and said that, um, you know, mm. they, they're going to attack inflation as much as possible and they'll have to keep it as high as they can. So you're kind of getting two things. You're getting, if interest rates stay high, well, you're getting a pretty nice yield over there of between four and 5%. Um, but if, you know, the market is pricing in a few cuts this year, that is when being on the longer duration side of it, so the more sensitive to interest rates, you're going to get that capital value appreciation as well. Yep. So yeah, definitely on the defensive side um, of your portfolio where you want to add it and just to add that geographical um, tilt or that geographic diversification to portfolios. Yeah, I like it. Uh, so once again, you probably got questions about like all of the different ETFs. We obviously have some time to cover a few in this podcast. So um, stay tuned for the webinar. Um, it will be coming up soon. If you haven't already subscribed to the newsletter, do that um, just so you can uh, keep up to date with everything we're working on. Um, mate, I've got uh, one final uh, question. It's a bit of just a bit of fun because you've given us a, a really good overview of some actually some complex products, particularly the cover coal strategy. Yep. Not many people could explain it as succinctly as you've done. So well done. Um, but the final question, and I know you've been doing this a long time, yep. is um, 
you know, if you could go back and tell yourself one thing, it seems like a young Mark was very, very switched on in terms of buying ETFs <laughs> early, finding great I'm companies. One of the few. One of the very <laughs> I mean, I'm few. sure you've lost money along the way, I dare say as well. But you know, if if you could go back and and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, most people will give you the traditional advice to start earlier, but I actually think uh, the best advice that I wish I gave myself younger on is to add more boring stuff to my portfolio. The more boring I can make my portfolio, yeah. the better I'm going to do. Because um, as you said, Owen, I've, I've lost money picking shares. Uh, there's been some stocks that have been disasters for me. Um, but it's funny, the, the stuff that I haven't touched has actually been the best thing for me. So I think um, we're trained in the industry to think that the more complexity you add to your portfolio, the more assets you add to your portfolio, um, the more that you can predict that what's going to happen, the better you're going to do doesn't work that way. And I wish mm. I knew that early on. I wish that I knew that, you know, markets are pretty efficient. Um, if you can control your own behavior and your cost, you're going to actually do a lot better in the long run. Um, and one of the favorite studies that I've seen is, um, I think it was Fidelity did a survey of all their mm. um, customers on who did the best in terms of, was it a certain age? What is a certain demographic? And it was actually the, the ones that lost their passwords. Yeah. Um, so for me, if I, if, if I were to tell my younger self, it would be don't touch your portfolio as much. Set up a very low cost strategy using very boring, very passive things and just dollar cost average into it. And that will lead you into great success in the long run. Yeah. You can add a little bit of, um, you know, hot sauce or some exciting things on the side. Um, but controlling your own behavior is a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though, you know, people can play those active tilts. Um, if by having those active tilts, it stops you from touching the boring part of your portfolio, then that's a behavioral hack in itself. Yeah, I like uh, that. But for me, the, the most important thing that I would say to my younger self is just be as boring as possible. It yeah. doesn't sound sexy. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. sell a lot of things, yeah. but it will honestly get you better results over the long-term in terms of the probability of achieving those long-term goals instead of avoiding some of those disasters. So the more boring your portfolio is, the better you're going to do. I love it. Yeah, and it's the same pro- It's the same advice I'd give to myself for what it's worth uh, is to start that way yeah um, and, and the great thing about thing. um you know etfs is it has made it easy it just made it really easy for clients to do that before you know etfs only about 20 to 25 years old in australia um about 40 years old more um more globally um but now it makes it a lot easier and a lot of uh, retirees or people in their 60s and 70s might have not experienced etfs before but this is the new wave of investing. This is something that I believe is going to be growing massively. It's already taking a lot of market share away from some of the traditional managed funds, away from some stock pickers as well. You're never going to you know, kill out the stock pickers. There's still going to be active stock pickers that create a market. It's all for the efficient. Um, it's, it's great to actually have um, active traders in the market to create that liquidity and to create that pricing. Um, but I believe it's it's a way to come. It's a way to borify, if that's even a word, your portfolio. <laughs> um, and it's a it's 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 a it's a structure that I believe is going to have massive application within the Australian financial la- landscape for many years to come. So yeah. very bullish on the whole industry. I, I am an ETF nerd though, so um, that's just my own personal view. But um, you know, it's growing at thirty to forty percent per year, and um, we're really excited to be part of the journey at GlobalX with it. Yeah, great, mate. I love that. And um, yeah, I think hot sauce is a good analogy. I might actually. Take that one. Yeah. Um, well, well, it is. A lot of people, it's like if you're going out and you want to order a meal and you want to add a little bit of chili just to add a bit of extra excitement, that's fine. But sometimes that chili can be too hot and you're going to be having to drink milk to wash away that for a while. Um, but it's a, it's actually a behavioral hack yeah. because if, uh, and I mean, I do with my own personal portfolio, about 80 to 85% of my portfolio is in boring ETFs that I'm just not touching. I'm just dollar cost averaging, topping up as much as I can. Um, but you know, every now and again, you might want to have a, if you have an edge uh, or you might have an idea in a particular stock, you can you know speculate with that. Um, but again, that behavioral hack with that chili, having that in, if your main part of your meal is kept just simmering away, nicely mm. away, and you're just looking after the active part, that's yeah. going to be driving a lot of returns. You might get a couple of five, 10 baggers or something, or you know, one of my yeah. stocks that I had net wealth before was actually really good for me but I've had some duds, but that boring part is just going to simmer away while you play around with your hot sauce just to add as that behavioral hack. Wonderful. Well, um, I'll direct anyone to the GlobalX website to learn more about you, but also yep. to learn more about the funds we spoke about. All of the product uh, pages and summaries are there available. The holdings are there. You can see what's inside them, how they're constructed, uh, as well as a bunch of literature and research that goes into putting those together. And uh, once again, if you're, if you're listening, um, thanks for listening. Uh, it's been a wonderful chat and uh, keep an eye out for the webinar that's upcoming to ask your questions. Mark, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Owen. Really enjoyed it.
Thanks for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I wanted to share some things with you. Specifically, I wanted to tell you about the 10 ways that Rask could help you in 2024. As many of you know, Rask has grown to become one of the biggest investing and finance platforms in Australia. Across our podcasts, our websites, our memberships, and so on, we now engage around 200,000 Aussies, which considering we started in a humble lounge room on a Kmart desk, one of those old fake white wooden ones, I'm pretty ecstatic about where we are six years later. As part of becoming one of Australia's biggest platforms for wealth creation and preservation, we now have a very special position in the country in that we can bring you some of the best, most thoughtful, expert-driven ways to protect and grow your wealth. And I'm going to share some of those with you now. I've got 10 ways that we can potentially help you or match you with someone who can. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the biggest step we've ever taken at Rask, which is the launch of our Rask Invest platform. This is a platform that lets our team, led by me, invest for you, primarily through low-cost, diversified ETFs. We'll have three strategies at launch, and every investor who comes through can pick one of the three strategies being a balanced strategy, a growth strategy, and a high-growth strategy. The balanced strategy focuses on passive income and the high growth strategy focuses on longer term compounding. You will find a link in your podcast player to register your interest. We will be taking off soon. Number two, if you prefer to DIY your investing, you can join me and over 4,000 members inside Rascore. That's our full ETF and ASX share research membership community. You can join now and you'll get updated ETF portfolio recommendations every quarter, as well as ongoing ASX and global stock research. Every single month, we call them the all-star stocks. You get that alongside the ETF portfolios, as well as other members-only content. It's called Rascore. Number three, our first ever partnership with a business other than our own was a business by the name of Blusk, which has since become Flint Group. Flint Group is led by Chris Bates and Christian Stevens, two of Australia's most highly regarded mortgage brokers. Already over 200 RAS community members have begun the RAS plus Flint Group mortgage broking process. You can click the link in your podcast player if you're refinancing, investing, a first home buyer or whatever. You've probably heard Chris on the show many times. Number four, you can connect with our most trusted financial advisors. Whether you're 25 years old, just graduated uni and looking to set yourself up or approaching or in retirement and you've got that nest egg you want to protect and generate a passive income from, you can get in contact with our trusted panel of financial advisors. You can find the link in your podcast player. It's there each and every week. Just click the thing that says financial planning. Number five, if you want specialist insurance advice, as Warren Buffett said, rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Insurance is vitally important, especially when it comes to your number one asset, you. Whether you're a single income household or a couple and you just want to protect what would happen if. You want to protect your family if something goes wrong. You want to protect your spouse if you lose your job. You want to protect yourself if you hurt yourself on the weekend at footy. Insurance is a way to do that. And I think the best way to do insurance is through a financial planner. And there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is sometimes some insurers will only work with financial advisors, but they can also be your companion as you go through the sometimes daunting process of getting insurance done properly. Sometimes you might not even know, but you're not even covered, even though you think you are. So get the right advice. You'll find a link in the show notes to check that out. Number six, buying property. If you're like me and you're thinking of buying property in the next 12 months, or maybe you've already invested and you're looking to downsize, getting the right advice and being able to build wealth through property is a proven strategy. It might be one of the most contentious, but I think that we have one of Australia's best property coaches in our ranks. That is Pete Wargent. Pete is the host of the now super popular Australian property podcast by Rask, and he's also 
my analyst team's macro consultant. So if you're a member of Rascor, you will have seen Pete's name around the traps. He's a property coach and buyer's agent, and he works with a select number of people each and every year. Just a note on this. This is not a commercial thing with Pete. Pete just has great services, so we offer them to the community. And when he fills up, he fills up. You can find out more about Pete's coaching in the show notes. Next up, tracking your portfolio for tax. I think you are because I think you have to. So we've partnered with Nevexa to help you manage your share and ETF reporting, whether it's tax or performance. All RASC users get 20% off an annual plan with Nevexa. You can sync your portfolio with Nevexa's software and it automatically tracks your dividends, your capital gains tax, and more. Again, not a commercial partnership. We don't make anything from working with Nevexa, but they do create some great tools which the RAS community uses each and every day. Number eight, want to run your own business? Maybe you already do. If you want more profit, but less stress, less time consumed, and less energy lost, get in contact. We have a partner business called Inflection. The Inflection Accelerator Program is a complete online course that helps you and a community of members engage and follow a proven strategy for growing your business. I'm grateful to be one of the coaches inside the Accelerator program, helping business owners right across Australia. You can find more following the link in your podcast player. It's the one that says coaching. Number nine, if you haven't already checked it out, join over 20,000 other people who tune into the Rask YouTube channel. It is completely free and you get notified when we go live and when we publish podcast episodes. There is a podcast on the Rask network each and every day, as well as bite-sized material that's less than 60 seconds or those really punchy tutorials and webinars that are just 15 minutes that take you through a really exciting topic, whether it's how to buy a property, whether it's how to pick a dividend ETF. Some of our most popular content actually just explains things like, what the heck is franking credits and how do I calculate if I've got some? That's on our YouTube channel. Number 10, if you want to be a better investor, a saver, a better partner with money, or just understand your own relationship with money, you can do that all of that by going to the Rask Education website and taking a free course. We've enrolled over 26,000 students at the time of this recording, and we are on a mission to get to 100,000 in the next few years. Rask Education is our mostly free education platform covering everything from budgeting and automation to the probably, I would say, the best value investing program in the country. So whether you're a value investor an intermediate investor, you want to know how to value Woolworth shares, or you simply just want to understand what ethical investing is or buy your first property and what actually happens on settlement day, head to the Rask Education website and enroll in something today. It is free and it supports us because then I can come on here next month and I can say we've got 27,000 and hopefully we reach critical mass where we can help more Australians manage their money better. Thank you for listening to this long-winded ad If you want to get in contact with me, you know where to go. There's a link in your show notes. Basically, these 10 services, even though some of them we don't make any money from, support RASC and allow us to produce these podcasts, attract the biggest and best guests from Australia and around the world, and bring them to you to answer your questions. Thank you for being part of the RASC network, and thank you for your ongoing support. Bye for now.